Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. God, by your word and spirit this morning, imprint on us your, your truth, put it on our hearts and our minds, and Lord, we would ask that you shape our lives into lives of faithfulness. Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation, guard us from ourselves and our sins that refuse to die and work to pull us away from, from you. If we enter into temptation, into testing, deliver us from the evil one, from all of our spiritual enemies. We ask all of this in faith and confidence, knowing that to you alone belongs the kingdom, the power, and the glory, both now and forever. Amen. At the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, we were reminded of who God is, and specifically that He is holy, that He is sovereign, and as we begun to pray that He would give us our daily bread, that He is sufficient, that He is all that we need, that He gives and provides good gifts, all that we need. In the second part, the second half of the Lord's Prayer, also beginning with give us today our daily bread, we're reminded that we are every day sinful and dependent upon our great and good Father. This morning we'll be finishing up the Lord's Prayer, but let's very seriously consider these last several petitions, these last requests and repeated statements of fact that we are making. And let's do that, at least to begin with, by looking at Matthew and Luke, like we did last week, and the way that these passages are the same and the ways that they are different. In Matthew's Gospel, the occasion which Jesus was teaching, He said, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the occasion in which Jesus was teaching in Luke, he said, and lead us not into temptation. And then the part that we have traditionally added to the Lord's Prayer, that are in some texts of the Lord's Prayer, um, that we maybe see in Chronicles and we see in a couple of the Psalms, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And our big idea today is not as refined or as simple as what it typically is. Um, but here's our big idea. This is what we're working with today in this text. In Christ, you are no longer a slave to your desires, and you are rescued from evil. All authority is His. In Christ, you are no longer a slave to your desires, and you are rescued from evil. All authority is His. So lead us not into temptation lead us. We need that. We need to be led. 
Now, I don't know about you, um, but as a father, I take great responsibility in leading, and yet I hate being led around by my children. I hate being led around by other people, right? Even if I'm behind someone following them in traffic and they know the way and they're going too slow, I don't want to be led by that person. If someone wants to explain to me something that I've heard a million times, I don't want to be led in that conversation. If someone's trying to teach me something that I think I already know, mm, no thank you. I'd rather not hear it. And yet, this proverb came to mind when I was thinking about this. Proverbs 14.12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. <laughs> now, women, that's for you too. It's not just for men, okay? But there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We need to be led. Without being led by God, through His Spirit, by His Word, as we live a life in Christ, it leads to the way of death. We looked at it last week when we were talking about forgiveness. Even our best works, those things that our neighbors in the world would look at us and say, great work, great job. You did a, an amazing thing outside of Christ. For those that don't know Christ as their Savior, even that best work is, as Paul describes it, it's filthy rags. It's nothing that God wants. It's nothing that you can offer up to God and say, look at this amazing thing that I've done. And everyone else thinks that it's amazing too. That way ends in death. And we need to be led away from that. You need to be led. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what are we trying to be led to and led away from? Well, we're being led to Christ. Okay, We're being led by Christ. And what are we trying to be led away from? A life of death and of giving in to temptation. Here in this passage, we could talk about temptation in a couple different ways. Um, we could talk about what temptation actually is. Now, I know, I say the word temptation, and everyone has something going through their mind, okay? And it's probably the thing that you're afraid of being tempted by, right? Maybe it's something simple, like eating all of the chocolate before anyone else in your family gets it, right? Or maybe it's something that is more grievous than that. Something that more immediately leads to the weighing down of your soul in sin. Maybe it's the desire for someone else 
that does not belong to you as husband or wife. And so when we think about temptation, what we're talking about here is desire. It's those things that we desire that take us away from God. And also, in maybe a more simple way, it's oftentimes just the most convenient, the easiest, or most practical things that stand before us in life. It's something that's easy to turn to and to say, yes, I would rather choose that, that quick satisfaction, than I would this slow growth, this path that Christ is taking me down. And yet, James says in James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which Christ has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What's going on there? Why would I read that whole passage? Well, what James is talking about is trials that we face as Christians and that these trials are there to strengthen us. We studied this together in 1 Peter too, right? That our faith would be tested. And yet, from 1 Peter, we understood very quickly, very easily, that it was not for God's sake that our faith was tested, but for ours, right? Right? Who is our faith in? 
our, our sure and steady anchor, Christ, right? Christ does not need to be tested. It's the, the trial is there, the temptation is there to bring us to a place of understanding that Christ is what we need. That He is all that we need. And in that trial and in that temptation, whether we give in and we conceive a sin that leads to death, Christ is there to pick us back up so that we will have learned our lesson and that we will once again lean upon Him. The trial, the temptation, is not there simply to... to to mess with your mind, to cause you to doubt. It's actually there to strengthen you. The test, the trial, the temptation is there that you would lean on Christ and that you would have confidence in what He has done for you. Now, Jesus in His ministry is not a stranger to temptation, right? We studied this in Mark's Gospel. Jesus, even though He was perfectly loved by the Father, He was tempted and tried. And it was not some simple, you know, act that Jesus did. Not like He was an actor out on a stage just showing the world who He was. No, He was in the wilderness on His own showing Satan that he was defeated. And in that act, the reason why the Gospel writers tell us about that is so that Jesus is because Jesus is showing us that Satan is defeated. And that he is greater than the one who is in the world. The writer of Hebrews says this, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was tempted as you are. And we looked at the three ways that Satan tried to tempt him, to offer him everything that Jesus was already promised. Christian, if you know Christ, Christian, you have promises Right? You have treasures laid up for you. You have good gifts that God has given to you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Good, desirous, beautiful gifts that are already yours. And when you are tempted, just as Jesus was tempted, and you reach out to grab some other kind of gift that seems like it's going to you know, be a plaster on the wound that's going to carry you over until that final gift 
comes, you must remember that Christ was offered all of those same things that already belong to Him. Christian, you are offered comfort. You are offered strength. You are offered salvation. It's already yours, in fact. Don't reach out and try to grasp it anywhere else but in Christ. Through faith in Jesus, your and my failure to resist sin are covered by His faithfulness to the Father. Jesus became, as we read about just now, just like His siblings, you and me, in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation, a payment for the sins of the people. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. When you are being tempted, you are being drawn by God the Holy Spirit to a place where grace is worked in your life and can be clearly seen. We were talking about growth, right? Um, Let's put it in the context of a relationship. Now, you could talk about a friendship or whatever. I'm going to use a marriage relationship, okay? And so for those that aren't married yet, forgive me for that. But each and every day, Tara and I um, don't act perfectly towards one another, right? And some days, we are just clicking. We're clicking and everything is working. And you're going to ask me at the end of the day, wait, how's your marriage? Oh, Marriage is great. Marriage is a true gift from God. And some days, there are going to be days when I did not get enough sleep and I'm cranky and Tara is in business mode and she's getting things done and we're passing like ships in the night, about ready to crash into one another, that is. And you're going to ask me, how's marriage? And I'm going to say, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm, not sure if I'm the husband I need to be. I don't know if I'm the father I need to be. I'm not sure I'm the friend that I need to be. I don't think I'm growing the way that I need to be. Right, day to day, we look at one another and we could say, ugh, or yay. And that's why you don't look at marriage like that. You look at marriage two, five, 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And you say, how's marriage? God's really grown us through marriage. Right? It's been a good gift that's tested me and encouraged me. And it's been a blessing. I'm less selfish than I used to be, but every day I figure out that I'm more selfish than I want to be. And so when we are being tempted, we are being drawn in by God the Holy Spirit so that the grace that has already been sown, that's been worked into our lives, can be seen by us. And day to day, maybe in failure, maybe in victory over sin, we're going to waver. We're going to say, Ugh, I'm not sure I'm growing. And that's not the way we look at it. We look at it two years down the road, and five years down the road, and 10 years, 20, 30, 50 years down the road to see how we have been changed by the work of God in our life. So 
So don't give in, but when you do, don't give up. Jesus has already claimed victory for you and is ready to strengthen you and to give you every opportunity to rely upon him and his life and his work for you. So don't give up and don't give in. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations of the Bible will say, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, It's not a bad translation. I think what's happened there is that um, some people have added in the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays in John 17, where he prays that we would be protected from the evil one. And in order to kind of update the prayer a little bit, they've added that on. That's okay. I think it's, it's, if you're praying this, it's a good thing to pray. Keep us from the evil one, right? Deliver us from the evil one. Uh, but let's think about what this means here to be delivered from evil just a little bit. Well, first and foremost, let's not forget where Christ is at in this. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside. What did He do with it? He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Him. So when it comes to being delivered from evil, Christian, you've already been delivered from evil. And you can thank and praise God for that. That's one aspect of this prayer. The reminder, not only that we need to pray it daily, not just in times of trouble, but before the trouble comes. And also be reminded that you have already been delivered. This is a bit of a longer quote, so forgive me. I'm going to read it fast because it's like, uh, it's like just being hit in the face multiple times. Okay, <laughs> with, with some good, good exegesis of this text, some good working out of this text. Um, And one theologian says it this way. In the Greek or the original language, this petition, this request that we're making of God reads this way. Deliver or preserve us from the evil one, the malicious one. And it looks as if he were speaking of the devil, as though he would comprehend everything in one, so that the entire substance of all our prayer is directed against our enemy. For it is our enemy who hinders among us everything that we pray for. The name of God, the honoring of His name, God's kingdom and His will being done, our daily bread not being delivered, and a cheerful and good conscience relieved of its sin by Christ. Therefore, we sum it up and we say, Dear Father, pray help that we would be rid of all of these calamities caused by the evil one. But there is nevertheless also included whatever evil may happen to us under the devil's kingdom of poverty, shame, death, and in short, the agonizing misery and heartache of 
which there is still much that is unnumbered and a multitude of it around the earth. For since the devil is not only a liar, but also a murderer, he constantly seeks our life and wrecks his anger wherever he can afflict our bodies with misfortune and harm. Okay, it goes on. (laughs) He just goes on talking about what Peter essentially sums up in one phrase, that the devil goes around lurking like a lion seeking someone to devour. Look, sheep, when you're straying away from the group, from the flock, when you see that tempting thing that seems like an easier way to growth, that seems like a path out, that seems like this is what's going to get you through the day, and you stray away, you have to know that Satan is out there like a lion seeking one of us to devour. He's waiting for you. He's waiting not to just place that temptation in front of you once. A test that can be seen as a good thing and a gift from God that's going to strengthen us. But He's going to constantly be accusing you and putting that temptation in front of you. Waiting for you to fail and to fall so that He can one more time accuse you and say, Christ's death didn't work for you. Look at how sinful you are. Look at how far away from Christ you have become. And so we pray that we would be delivered from evil. In the little ways and in the big ways. And we pray that we would be delivered from the evil one. That He would not devour us. But instead we would cling to Christ. And as we see our brothers and sisters in Christ and our neighbors that don't yet know Christ being led away from a path that leads to Him, that we would go. That we would share again the good news with them and remind them of what Christ has done for them. That He has delivered them from evil. That He has forgiven them of their sins. And that we would not give that accuser a foothold in our lives or our neighbor's life or our brother's and sister's life sitting next to us. For yours is the kingdom, power, and glory, now and forever. Amen. Now, we've already talked about the kingdom. We've talked about God's kingdom and His will. We've talked about His power. We've talked about the glory that He has when His name is honored. Hallowed be your name. So, even though in Matthew and in Luke we don't see this part of the prayer written down, it is a fitting benediction, a doxology, kind of a going back and a repeating of what we've already said. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. One older confession of faith, as it goes through the Lord's Prayer and 
it asks, what does this mean? And then it says, this is what it means. What does this mean? This is what it means. When it gets to just simply this word, amen, here's the question. What does the word amen mean? Now we have a simple answer for that, right? May it be true, or it is true, or yes, yes, it's going to be true, okay? We could say it like that. But here's the answer that this older confession of faith gives. What does the word amen mean? Amen means this. It is true and certain, for God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel it in my heart or that I desire of Him to actually fulfill it. When we say amen, we're not just saying, yes, yes, may it be true. When we say amen, we're giving that prayer back to the Lord. We are with our words, no matter where our heart is at, relying upon Christ and His work for us. We are saying to God, Lord, I'm going to pray these words to You right now, and I think that they're true, but these words are much more certain, and more certainly than ever, I know that You want these words to be true even more than I do. So when we pray, we can pray like this. In Christ, you are no longer a slave to your desires. And you are rescued from evil. All authority is His. Let me pray for us. God, in and of ourselves, we are weak. And it seems that even for a moment, we're not going to be able to stand. I'm reminded of when Jesus is in the garden and is, He's speaking to His disciples and He says, pray with me and, and don't sleep lest you be tempted. <laughs> Their temptation was to fall asleep on the job. And they did. And God, like those disciples, it seems like for not even a moment can I stand on my own. That each of us that will be overtaken by our sinful desires or just whatever comes easiest next. And because of that, Lord, sometimes, oftentimes, we carry with us a fear. A fear of the devil, of the world, of our flesh. Our sworn, our sworn enemies who never cease to attack us, that those things might finally overcome us and drive a wedge between us and you. So Lord, we ask that you would uphold us and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Do that, Lord that we will not be defeated in the spiritual war, but that we would stand firm in resistance, knowing that Christ has won every battle, and because of Him, the final and complete victory is ours. 
All this we ask of you because you are king and you have power over all things and you are willing and able to give us all that is good. May your holy name receive all the glory every day, forever. God, may we be assured through this prayer that Jesus taught and by the whole of Scripture that you have more certainly heard our prayer than we feel or understand it with our hearts and that you more certainly want to fulfill this prayer than we even desire these things from you. Thank you for your unfaltering faithfulness. Thank you for the faithfulness of your son, Jesus. Thank you that he has taken all of our sins upon him, that he became our sin and our death for us, and he gave us all of his righteousness and all of his life. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.